Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Kick out, left side, smart up picks. Finds the cutter. Tatum spins, lays it up and in to beat the buzzer. It's over. It's over. The Celtics have won the ball game at the buzzer. Welcome back, everyone, to the Lay of the Points podcast. I'm your host, Kendall Caps, alongside my co-host, Jordan Chereau. Man, what a weekend of NBA action, huh? <laughs> so exciting. Oh, my gosh. If you love the NBA and, and NBA playoffs, we got a little bit of everything. We got some trash talking. We got a buzzer beater. It's been really, really fun to watch. I can't wait to see what comes uh, this week and weekend. Well, it, it's nuts. The fact that you know we got... I mean, coming into the the Nets Celtics series, which I guess we could start there. Coming into that series, it was already the most talked about, most hyped series. You had Kyrie Irving going back to Boston uh, with all the drama that's happened between he and the Celtics fans. You know, already in the past, you didn't think that it could actually take another step forward and, and reach another level. And then Kyrie drops a bird, later drops a double reverse bird to fans. I mean. Has an unbelievable fourth quarter. I think he dropped 18 in the fourth for the Nets. And all of it only to then lose on a buzzer beater from Jason Tatum, who got by Kyrie, by the way, on that final play, which no one has really talked about. I mean, yeah, it, it was a fantastic opening weekend. We had a couple great finishes. Even the Bucks bulls which not a lot of people thought that was going to be close. That had a really good finish. That game was tied with under, under two minutes to go. Um, and then... The Heat took care of business easily. The Sixers took care of business. Out West, the Suns and Warriors, they looked really, really good. And then how about Minnesota, huh? They they pulled off the only upset of the weekend. The Timberwolves, wow. Like coming off their big win against the Clippers, all the emotion, and I had zero problem with how they celebrated. I good, you know, good on them to go out there. They have had a lot of really, really rough seasons. So you know what? I know it's just a play in, but good on them. And I'm happy for them. And then to go in to Memphis, who was probably one of the hottest, most surprising teams this year on how they play and to go in there and hit them first and steal game one, man, that was huge. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really impressive performance. They got a lot of different, uh, you know, they got help from a lot of different guys. Malik Beasley off the bench scored 23, which a lot of times you don't get your role players in the postseason stepping up. Most times to win NBA playoff games in the road, on the road, you need your stars to really carry the day. But Beasley stepped up with 23 off the bench. They had a couple other guys chip in. So good for them. They dropped 130 points in Memphis. Yeah. Memphis has one of the best defenses in the NBA. Yep. That was really impressive what they did. Yeah. like, And we'll talk about more about um, their team and uh, their upcoming matchup, but Oh my gosh, like we definitely need to talk about Anthony Edwards. Man, what a coming out party for him. The way he's been playing his first playoff game. What does he drop? 36 points. I mean, this guy is so impressive on the court. He's so fun to watch, explosive. Um, It's just, I mean, wow. Well, and I think because he was in Minnesota, he didn't get nearly the love. And he doesn't have as flashy of a game as a John Morant. So he wasn't talked about quite as much this year, but he had a fantastic season and talk about a a coming out party, first playoff game, road playoff game of his career. 
and to do what he did in upstage John Morant in Memphis. Yeah, it was really impressive. So now why don't we pivot and start looking towards some of game twos? Let's start there with Memphis and Minnesota. So Memphis, they're a seven-point favorite at home in game two, over under two of 241. Really, really big number. But obviously, Memphis or Minnesota can score as they showed last game. And then the money line, Memphis minus 300. So Vegas really likes them to bounce back. Minnesota a plus 250. Do you see any value anywhere there? Uh, yeah, like I, I think Memphis is going to come out big in this game. I think they're going to be really, really upset about what happened in game one. I'm expecting them to cover that seven. I don't think it's going to be close at all. I think Memphis is going to count. Now that over-under is 241. I think I'd go under on that because I think Memphis is really going to step up their defense. I like I don't think there's yeah. going to be a ton of like a ton of points scored. I don't think they're going to allow Minnesota to score 130 again. Like Minnesota might score in the 110s maybe, maybe 115s maybe, but they're going to be they're going to be locked in and ready. Like I really really like Memphis in this game and the under. Yeah, I agree. I agree on both accounts. I don't think you can count on Malik Beasley scoring 23 off the bench again, shooting 8 of 14. That's not likely to happen. Memphis all year was really strong at home, and they were 27 and 15 against the spread at home. So they're used to covering. And, you know, this last game, Minnesota had 17 turnovers, but they managed to shoot over 50% from the field. That's how they got to the 130 mark. I don't think they're going to shoot 50% from the field again. They're not going to get the bench production that they got in game one. And you're going to get an angry defensive team that's going to come out and want to play physical. Because I feel like they probably felt like they didn't put their best foot forward in their first playoff game. And maybe it was nerves. They're young. They're the youngest team in the NBA. And I, I completely agree that they cover, and if they're going to cover, it's likely a defensive battle, which means I also really like that under 241. I wouldn't be surprised if this is in the 220 range or so. I don't even know if it's going to be close to that number. That over, no way. Like 241, that seems way too high um, for me. But yes, yeah, so both of us do like Memphis and the under. Um, let's. Yeah, it might even be worth a, a shot at a parlay. I feel strongly enough in both Minnesota and the under that why play them individually? If you're going to bet them, I I'd double in parlay it, get that extra money, get that extra money in your pocket. What do you think about just Memphis minus 300? I mean, it, it, I feel very, very strongly that they're, they're going to win the game. So to lay three, three to one odds, I think if they play this game four times, they would win it at least three. So you're not losing money. If you bet Memphis on the money line, because uh, I think if they play this game five times, they probably win four out of five. So there's actually value to be had betting Memphis in the money line. But at the same time, I'm not a huge fan generally of laying huge odds on the money line unless I see a great opportunity. And so I, I probably would lean, since both of us feel confident in the seven, why go money line? Lay the seven, you're going to cover anyway. Speaking of being cautious, we should definitely be cautious in the next game we have, which is Miami versus Atlanta. Uh, Miami is minus seven and a half over under two eighteen and a half money line. Miami is minus uh, three, three, one, five Atlanta plus two sixty five. Uh, Clint Capella hurt his right knee. Uh, no structural damage on the knee, but uh, Adrian Wojnarowski basically said that he could miss time, possibly the series. So what do you think about 
that going into game two with those lines. Well, at the very least, he's probably not going to be playing in this game. And Atlanta already struggles defensively. Miami is playing really, really well. And all year, I have kind of doubted them because they don't have that one guy that I felt like was the true superstar, even though, don't get me wrong, they they have some amazing players. And, you know, Duncan Robinson had a huge game, game one. I don't know how much you're, you're going to count on him. He's not going to hit eight threes again. He shot nine of 10 in that game. Oh, wow. I didn't realize he was nine of 10 from the field. That's that's pretty darn impressive. But again, that's not likely to happen in a second game. I do think the Atlanta Hawks early on, they're going to come out and, and fight early on in this game. And I think Trey Young, they're going to hit some shots early. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Atlanta either has a halftime lead or is right there tit for tat with the heat at the halftime break. But then as the game plays out, you know, and Miami's able to take advantage of the fact that Capella's not in the middle and they can get easy baskets in the paint. I think Miami's going to wear them down and end up winning this game by around 10 and gets the cover. I just think um, what Capella does for their for their team um, overall defensively and offensively, it's such a big loss. So it's going to put so much more pressure on Trey Young to have to carry it. And if he's having an off night, you know, it could be a very, very long night for uh, for Atlanta. So I definitely like Miami. Uh, to cover. And plus, Atlanta was 28th in the NBA this year at covering the spread on the road. So they are used to getting blown out on the road. This isn't, you know, game one wasn't some weird aberration. Like they were bad on the road all year long. And now they lost arguably their, it's certainly their most important defensive player, one of the most important overall players for this game. Game two on the road again. Miami looking to get a stranglehold of the series. Yeah, I definitely think the Heat get the 2 nothing lead, win this game going away as the fourth quarter plays off. Did you cover the over-under, the 218.5? What do you think about that? To be honest, I, I, I don't have a strong feeling either way. Without Capella, I think Miami's going to score plenty themselves. But I just don't know how much offense we're going to get from Atlanta to be able to hit the over. I definitely don't like the under. If I was going to go one way or the other, I'd lean toward the over. Uh, but I, but personally, I'd probably stay away. I feel much more confident in taking minus Miami minus seven and a half than I am touching the over under in that game. Let's go to uh, the Phoenix Suns against the Pelicans. Phoenix is um, minus nine and a half. The over under is two twenty one and a half. Money line is minus five hundred five for Phoenix and plus four hundred for the Pelicans. Who do you like? It's a, that's obviously a huge number. Nine and a half is a lot to cover. And they just barely covered that in game one. But New Orleans, they played pretty well and they were hanging with them for a lot of that game. Um, and a large part of that is because of their dominance on the glass. They out-rebounded the Suns 55 to 35. Valanciunas had 25 rebounds himself. That's that's just bananas. 13, like, offensive, re- thir- 13 offensive rebounds for Valanciunas. <laughs> now i don't think that the pelicans are going to crush them on the glass to quite that extent but when you can impose your will physically inside Mm -hmm. it means you're getting more good looks close to the basket those are higher percentage looks. yeah second and and third chance looks too second and third chance looks and then a lot of times you get that second chance and then you kick it out to an open three um you know a lot of threes are made that way so knowing 
that they are that much more physical and they should be able to control the boards to some degree once again. The game should be close, but I also don't know how much I can rely on their ability to score efficiently on the other end. But there's one aspect of this that I definitely like. I think Phoenix, who was one of the best defensive teams all year long, the Pelicans were also one of the better defensive teams. And the Pelicans hit the under 51 times this year. That's the most in the NBA. Phoenix hit about half the time. They were 50-50 on over-unders. Knowing that, 221 sounds like a pretty big number to me. If there's somewhere where I'm really aggressively attacking this game, I think I'm going under 221 and a half and going at it pretty large. The Pelicans shot 37% in game one, and I wouldn't be surprised if they shoot somewhere in that range again. Phoenix, I don't think, is going to shoot over 50% for an entire game again. Um, so if they're somewhere in the mid-40s, both teams play really good defense. Neither one of them is going to be running up and down the court, so there's going to be limited possessions. I feel like the under is a pretty sneaky good play here. I don't think Phoenix is going to cover 9.5. I think this game's going to be closer than expected. If you're definitely going to parlay it, I would definitely take the Pelicans plus 9.5 and, and take the under on the uh, 221. Because not every single home team is going to go up 2-0. It's just not going to happen. Like One of these teams is going to is going to have a letdown late in a game. And I just think that 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 it could happen. And I know how good Phoenix is, but the Pelicans, like they have a lot of good, two really, really good offensive players that can hit big shots late in games. So if you're feeling lucky, you can take the plus 400 on the, on the Pelicans. I actually like this this game better to bet the Pelicans than I do in game three in New Orleans. Because <laughs> I think Phoenix, yeah, was, I think that makes some sense. Because I think Phoenix is a really, really good road team. They're super experienced. But if there was ever a letdown game that I think that maybe it would be good to take a risk, I think betting on New Orleans. I mean, at plus four hundred, it's pretty good if you're feeling them and you're feeling lucky. Um, but just based on what we saw, you know, yeah, they did lose, but they were hanging in there for a while. So. They have a lot of talent on that team, and I think that they could um, they could surprise and they could steal a game. And um, ultimately, like I don't think they'll win the series, but this could be a game they could get. Yep, and a good opportunity to make a little bit of money. All right, so that takes care of the games on Tuesday. Let's uh, take a look at some of the Wednesday games, which the early one on Wednesday is the one you know I am really really excited for, uh, especially after watching how Game One played out on Easter Sunday between the Celtics and the Nets. So the Celtics are three and a half point favorites in game two back in Boston uh, over under 227 and a half. Now, finally, we get a money line that Vegas knows this game could go either way. Boston's minus 155. Brooklyn's 135. What do you think of this game? Oh, I like the Nets. I think that they should have won that game. But Kevin Durant fell asleep on Jason Tatum. He slipped back door with a great pass by Marcus Smart, laid it up and in. And that's your ball game. But Kyrie Irving played amazing in that game, kept a minute. KD didn't have the greatest game, but that's because Boston can basically switch their whole team um, on the Durant and not give them easy looks because they play such a good team defense. So I think it's going to be a close game again, but um, I just think that uh, this is a game that I definitely like the Nets at plus three and a half. As far as the over-under... Hmm. That's a tough one. What do you think? 
Yeah, 227, it's considering how good Boston can play defense. The first game was what, 229, I believe. It was 115, 114. So it was right in this range. Um, you know, the Celtics led by double digits for a large portion of game one. They were the better team for a lot of that game. And then Kyrie, it's almost as though he flipped a switch. He flipped a bird first. And then after he flipped the bird, he flipped a switch and he just went on a crazy run and could seemingly couldn't miss and was knocking down triple after triple after triple and carried his team in the fourth quarter. You know, it's, it's difficult uh, as a Celtics fan for me to say, but I feel like this game, this series is destined to go seven. It's a shame that this is going to be a first round series because it could very easily be an, be an Eastern conference final series. Um, but nevertheless, we're getting it in the first round. Brooklyn is not a seven seed. We all know that that just because of the, you know, everything with COVID and Kyrie and everything that happened in Harden, everything was a mess. They, you know, they didn't win as many games as, as they normally would have in the regular season. But knowing this series is probably going seven, I definitely like the Nets. I think they come back and they win tonight. They're going to be really focused. I think Boston starts well, but I think Brooklyn, they have two closers that I know can close at any moment. And we saw that again in, in game one. And, you know, if you're, if you're going to take the Nets, why even take the three and a half is my thought. I'd take them on the money line at plus 135. You know, you're minus 110 if you take the points. But, you know, maybe this if the Celtics do win, is it really going to be by three or less? I mean, odds say it would be a little bit more than that. I, you know, it's you don't see too many buzzer beaters or one possession games back to back. So to me, if you think Brooklyn's going to win, you might as well just go money line plus 135. I agree. Like the plus 135 is probably the better bet to go in that game, but that should be a really exciting one on Wednesday night. So I can't wait for that. All right. So yeah. And then the final game that we'll tackle on Wednesday night, the game two in Milwaukee between the Bucks and the Bulls. So the Bucks, despite struggling uh, for much of game one, they're back to, you know, they're right back 10 point favorites uh, at home against the Bulls. Over-unders at 225 in Vegas. Obviously a clear, clear choice on Milwaukee winning this game outright at minus 530, the biggest of all the favorites that we've looked at, uh, and the Bulls at plus 425. Where do you see uh, some smart money going? I mean, are you really going to take the Bucks minus 530 to win the game, like on the money line? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? Like the Bulls, they were there. Like they were getting hammered in the beginning. It was like, I don't know, 23 to 7. And I was like, oh no. And then they came back and the game was tied with two minutes left. And then they just kind of fell apart and the Bucks pulled away. Um, even though, I mean, DeRozan and Levine and Vucevic combined for 21 of 71, like 30% from the field. And they were still had a chance to, to win that game. But, you know, Giannis was the only Bucks player to shoot over 50%. And so they kind of let Chicago hang around. I don't see Chris Middleton having that bad of a game again. He's probably going to bounce back. They're all going to, the rest of the role players are going to bounce back. Um, minus 10, that is a huge number. Yeah, it's a big like number. I can, like I will not take the Bucks minus 10. I'm sorry. I think Chicago is a is a good team. I think they will probably lose, but I definitely like them at like plus 10. Um, so I'm not taking Milwaukee. If anything, I would take Chicago again. What do you think of the over under at 225? You know, that that's a that's a tricky number because I feel like 
you know, in game one, I think it was 185, something like that total. It, it was ridiculous. Neither team seemed like they couldn't hit the ocean if they fell out of a boat. Um, so I, I certainly expect, like you said, Chris Middleton is going to play a lot better. He's going to hit more shots. We will see guys hitting more open shots. Uh, so there'll certainly be a lot more points, but I don't know if we get to 225. That still seems like a big number to me. Uh, cause I, I don't trust Chicago's ability to score late in games is part of the reason why they've struggled against some of the best teams in the NBA this year. So, I mean, if I had to lean one way, I probably go the under, but I'm not sold. That's a good number that Vegas came up with. Uh, they, they found a number where I'm not confident personally in laying my money on it. Uh, but like you, I do like the bulls to cover the bucks. I, despite acknowledging they will play better, especially offensively in game two. They generally don't put teams away at home. Even when they're up big, they were 16 and 26 against the spread at home this year. They generally don't cover. That's one of the worst records in the NBA. Uh, so, and they've had huge leads against a lot of them and they kind of coast Giannis. He only played like 30 minutes a game this year because they had big leads a number of times and they would just limit his minutes in the second half. And I could easily see that happening here. You get Drew Holiday, Middleton, Lopez hitting shots early. They build a 22-point lead midway through the third. Giannis sits on the bench for a little while. Bulls make a run. And the game finishes six, seven points or something like that. I could I could absolutely see that happening. So, yeah, 10 seems a little bit too big of a number for a team that generally doesn't hammer people at home. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at their numbers from game one. And outside of, like, Middleton, they kind of, like, you know, it, it's not crazy. I mean, like Giannis scored 27, Brooke Lopez had 18, Drew Holiday had 15, Bobby Portis with 10. So outside of like Middleton scoring like 25 or 30, you know, like they combined in game one for 179 points. What was the over under in, in game one? Do you remember? I don't remember what it was off the top of my head. It was maybe 212, I feel like something in that range. Vegas really thinks that the Bucks are going to bounce back in a big way in game two. That's a, that's a good point. The fact that they put that money line where they put it and they increase the over under despite only 180 in a game one, that does read as though they think the Bucks are going to hammer the Bulls or at the very least score a ton of points in this game. Uh, I just don't know if I trust them with that number you know, to continue to put the hammer down just because they haven't shown all year that that's the type of team that they are. Yeah, like I'm not feeling that that number like the Bucks in game one did not prove to me that I am confident enough to take them at minus 10. So I yeah, I'm definitely taking the Bulls um, at plus 10 and I am staying away from that money line for the Bucks and the Bulls. All right. Well, I, I'm super excited to see the next slate of games. Game two and all these series, there's going to be so much good basketball that we're going to be going through over the next two months, really. Um, So I'm super pumped for it. I know you are as well. Hopefully we hit uh, our bets and we made you guys a little bit of money. I know we finished over 500 again for the third week in a row last week. Um, So hopefully we can keep this train rolling. And we definitely have NFL draft coming up at the end of the month. So don't forget about that. We're going to take a deep dive into that. Talk about the prospects, who we think is going to go where in the first round. So get ready for that. And I hope everyone has a great week. Thanks for listening. And we will talk next week.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.